You're listening to What the History, a podcast where two nerds talk about some awesome, crazy, random stuff you probably don't remember learning about, but you're going to now. Hey, nerds. Welcome back to another episode of What the History. This week, we're talking to you today about another badass babe, another name that we, for some reason, had to Google the pronunciation (laughs) 30 seconds before we, you know, we make only good choices, only good choices. Um, So this week we're going way, 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 way back um, to ancient Egypt, which I'm super stoked for. And we're going to be talking about the Pharaoh Hatshepsut. So I don't know if I said that right. Uh, I'm probably going to change how I say it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know. 50,000 times this whole episode. I might just start calling her like Hattie. Because that's like kind of what I did while I was researching. Yeah, my friend Hattie. Yeah. Um, So we're going to go through a ton of shit today. I mean, we're going to talk about her accomplishments, who she was, what was her death and burial like, um, some interesting stuff about like the recognition that changed over time for her in history. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get some laughs. Hopefully we'll learn some shit. And uh, I'm going to let Sarah take it away with some background about Hatshepsut. Yes. So there is not a ton about her early life because, I mean, first of all, we're dealing with like forever and ever and ever ago, right? So records are already limited and most of the records we have have to do with the fact that she was eventually a pharaoh. And so they have to do with kind of then and after. Um, So there's not much about like her childhood or anything like that. Um, (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because nobody was like writing that shit down because they thought that she would be... Right, like she didn't have a Zanga. Like, no. (laughs) Zanga, my God. Um, But (laughs) we're so old. (laughs) It's fine. But so Hatshepsut was the daughter and also the only child of Thutmose I and his primary wife, who was named Amos. Fun fact her husband was Thutmose II, who was also the son of Thutmose I. So her half brother. Yeah. This was not weird at the time, like it is now. But so she, or illegal, <laughs> right? Like, or any of the things it is now. This was just chill. Then. It's super illegal, actually. Well, I think it is because when I was filling out my marriage license, I literally had to answer a question: Are you in any way blood related to? Yeah, you know, applicant B. Yeah, and some, <laughs> I was like, Eric, are we related? No. Okay. <laughs> some states, when you get married, require a blood test to show that you're like not genetically linked. Yeah. Um. My grandma said that they had to do that, and she got married in the 60s. Yeah. So. Well, I know Florida doesn't, and we know people who, had they done that, like, would have been advised to not have children just because of carrier stuff, not necessarily that they were related, but, like, oh, okay. they would have been advised. I was like, Florida. Yeah. No. They don't seem what to the be related, going on but in there Florida? was enough <laughs> of, like, matchups of carrier things that yeah. they would have been advised not to have children had Florida required it. Um, and they did. And mm-hmm. so their children have various like um, disabilities and things like that. Which is interesting because if we look at like most royal families, like even obviously dating back to ancient Egypt, like yeah. it was normal and it was better because it kept like the blood pure. But in actuality, it actually right. created like way more health issues and shit. Oh so brief sidebar about Prince Philip and how he's dead. But Oh, my God. I was waiting to see how long it took four minutes into me pressing you record. Up royal families. But my favorite thing, <laughs> there was some, you know, like royal expert on the news or whatever. And there was a clip and the person said, you know, Philip and Elizabeth had been together, blah, 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 years. How did they meet? And there's just this like 10 second pause where the person you could tell is thinking about it and has to say, well, they're cousins. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Oh, Are they second cousins? They were, or I think, cousins? third cousins. Third. Okay. Um, okay. So, like, they're not, like, they didn't actually meet till they were, like, 12. You know, like, they didn't right. actually grow up together, but it, you could just hear her, like, okay, well, it's not a cute story. <laughs> right. There's no meet cute. We're biological. <laughs> yeah, I think they met at, like, a family member's wedding. You know, like, someone who did I was thinking them. of, when you just said third cousins, I was thinking of Karen from Mean Girls when mm-hmm. she's like, you have your first cousins and then your second cousins. Mm-hmm. Or it's like you've got your cousins and your first cousins. And they're like, no, honey, that's wrong. <laughs> that's so wrong. <laughs> yeah. So, yep. OK, that was our sidebar. We'll talk about Prince Philip one day. We'll have a whole we'll get there, yeah. royal family saga. But we got to. Yeah, we back, to, back to our girl Hattie. Um, yes. But yeah, so she's the only child of Thutmose One and his primary wife. Um, like you said, she's ends up becoming pharaoh. She's only the second historically confirmed female pharaoh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So her rise to power is noteworthy 
because it required her to utilize like a combination of her bloodline, her education, and a good understanding of religion. So because she was the daughter, the sister, and the wife of a king, she ended up with what they thought was like an impeccable bloodline. So this kind of marrying Mm. her half-brother actually got her this access because she was connected in every way possible. Yeah, she's like a triple threat in musical theater. Exactly. Exactly. She's a triple threat. (laughs) And so technically when she ruled, it was jointly with Thutmos III, who had um, ascended to the throne as a child when he was like two years old, right? So this happened... We have like a few stories of this in ancient Egypt where someone would technically become pharaoh, but they were too young to rule. And so so there was like a regent, right? Yeah. And so she Mm -hmm. is technically like jointly ruling with him, but a two year old is not actually ruling anything. Um, But she is considered just in general, one of the most successful pharaohs. She reigned longer than any other woman in an indigenous Egyptian dynasty. And she's been called the first great woman in history of whom we are informed. So that's kind of the, the why we care. And then, so in terms of her reign, there's a lot of dispute about kind of what exact years it was. Again, because the records then aren't exactly like pristine or easy to understand. Right, yeah. So they're documented multiple places. Early scholars thought from about 1479 to 1458 BC was around when she she ruled and I hate like doing this backwards math on it right um, it's so weird it's so weird yeah but it, like that was so long ago oh yeah what a stupid thing for me to say <laughs> that was like really long ago guys that was was so long ago ancient wow oh my god i don't teach this as you could probably tell yeah (laughs) um but basically so she was there for a section of thutmose three's reign so from year seven to 21 of his rule she was in charge or co-regent But Egyptologists today, like, basically agree that she assumed the position of pharaoh and acted as the pharaoh. Yeah. So it's kind of generally thought and agreed upon at this point that she had a reign of about 21 years, as much as they could find. And there's some some ancient documents from, where is it, Manitho's King List. And it mentions a woman by a different name called Amensis. I'm going to go with Amensis or Amesis. Yeah, that Um, sounds right who from context they believe is actually Hatshepsut. And so again, this describes her reign as lasting 21 years and nine months. Another version lists 22 years. So it's all kind of close enough to assume this is the same reign and they person, they probably just didn't have, you know, the best calendar to check. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Part of the reason it's difficult is the reign of Thutmose one and Thutmose two. We don't have very good information on those. And so it's kind of hard to tell where one ends and one starts. So they're using some of that to assume these years, but hers has slightly more documentation than like her father and her husband and her brother, husband, whatever he is. Brusband. Yeah. (laughs) So in theory, she could have assumed power as early as 1512, but 1479 is the more kind of general assumption um, yeah and i'll actually talk about the reason why there's so much recorded about her specifically okay, or cool. yeah i'll talk a little bit about that in my my section yeah so the earliest record we have of of her being pharaoh so like the thing that dates the farthest back that calls her pharaoh is in the tomb of ramos and hatnifer and so there's a collection of you know grave goods and all the stuff they put in tombs and there's a pottery jar in the chamber and it's stamped with the date year seven And there's something else from the same year that's stamped with the seal of God's wife, Hatshepsut. And they kind of use this to corroborate, right? That in this same year, she seems to have been Pharaoh. Um, Right. Yeah. The dating of that is undisputed because we know about that tomb and when it was sealed. So it means that she was acknowledged as king of Egypt by year seven. It like specifies king and not queen. I'm not 100% sure what they considered the difference. Right. If king meant that you were ruler versus queen being more like a consort. So I actually have stuff in that um, in my stuff, too. I'll, okay. I'll just talk about it now really quick. But basically, there was no word for queen gotcha. because there was no idea of like a woman ruling as like, OK, we use the queen right now. Right. So she's actually the queen. Yeah. There's like something in the way that it's structured that you could have a woman ruling. But because there was no actual word for like a woman who was 
the queen. Yeah. They just use the term pharaoh. That makes sense. And like you, I don't think you were ever called like a queen consort. Right. I kind of, I'll talk a little bit more about it, but there basically was no word that existed for it, yeah. which is why you can't find a word like that. Okay. That makes sense. So that's why she was listed as the king of Egypt by year right. seven of her reign. Um, yeah. So basically n- no one knows for a hundred percent sure. We kind of go with these 79 to to 50 something or 79 to 58 dates as the best mm-hmm. assumption, but like, don't hold me to it. Oh, I'm gonna hold you to it. Okay. I can't even figure out how the dates are working backwards. I, the so. backwards dates. I literally read it like three times. So I was like, that doesn't make sense. And then I was like, oh, no, it does make sense. It's BC. Okay. Never mind. Yeah. We've said this once and we'll say it again. We don't math here. We, yeah, so. we do not math. And yeah. So that's what, what I've got on kind of <clears throat> her background and what we know about her. Like I said, there's not a ton of in-depth information, but we know that she had a really royal bloodline and it allowed her to basically become pharaoh, even though she was technically co-regent to a two-year-old. Yes, correct. So I'll talk a little bit about some of her achievements. Yes. The first one being the trade route expansion, which I... I never thought it was like a big deal, but I guess it is a big fucking deal. So one of her most notable accomplishments was the reestablishment of some of the trade networks that had been disrupted during the, um, it's called Hyksos occupation of Egypt. So like the reigns previous to hers. Yeah, a lot of this is just about how all the men sucked and yes, she like tried to exactly. fix it. Hence the badass babe uh, adage here. This basically is going to help increase the wealth of the 18th dynasty, which is why she's so significant. So in her ninth year as pharaoh, she oversaw the preparations and funding for a mission to the land of Punt. Punt Punt. is what I said. Punt. The land of Punt. I'm having, once again, some major My Big Fat Greek wedding vibes where they're talking about a bunt cake. And so I'm just like all over the place today. Um, so punt was this. Is, I kind of did some like extra research into this, mostly because there wasn't too much on her trade route, like accomplishments. Yeah. But there was so much stuff about the land of punt. Yeah. And I was like, the fuck is this? So it's kind of like a mini mini sewed inside of this episode. But Basically, Punt was an ancient kingdom that we actually don't know where it was. So there's like actually no legitimate. Oh, we know that the land of Punt was here. So there's two potential places that it could have been. Mm-hmm. The first one was the Horn of Africa. Okay. So that's like the eastern part, like at the very top. If you look at a map of Africa, yeah. you'll see it looks kind of like a horn. And then the second place it could have possibly been was the Arabian Peninsula. Okay, so those are the two that I think most debated and narrowed down locations of Punt. Mm -hmm. So the expedition set out in her name with five different ships. Each of the ships measured 70 feet long and could accommodate 210 men, including sailors and 30 rowers, which is like a lot of fucking people. Yeah. And so she sent out five ships and the mission was really successful, so much so that the delegation basically reported as returning from this mysterious punt with 31 live myrrh trees, which very fun fact, I did not know that myrrh came from a tree no me either i don't think i think too much about myrrh i don't think you know had you asked me what myrrh was i would say i don't know and had you said does it come from a tree i'd be like i don't know 50 50 shot so like (laughs) (laughs) so that's it like i only know gold frankincense and myrrh and i always thought of myrrh as an oil and i think it is an oil i'm actually gonna look it up i was already don't worry Oh, what did you find? Because I can't spell myrrh. So it is a gum resin extracted from trees, has been used through history as perfume, incense, and medicine. So I bet you can, like, melt it down. Okay. Because, like... it looks like a kind of sticky resin. Yeah, it's kind of fucking gross looking. Yeah. Hold on. It's got to be... It must have been in an oil form or something because, okay... All I'm thinking about is Jesus, baby Jesus getting these fucking three gifts from the wise men. And this jabroni shows up with like gum and he's like, here's a gum resin extracted from a thorny tree. Like this is talking about you can extract an an essential oil from it or like turn it into wine and stuff. So I bet you can take that resin gum, whatever, and like get liquid out of it somehow. But I think you take it out of the tree in this gum form and then you take that and turn it into other stuff. Okay, that's got to be that's got to be what it is because frankincense is also like an oil 
So that to me makes a lot more sense what you just said. Yeah. Yeah. So it's gross looking. It is. I'm going to put this in the Instagram post Perfect. because it's kind of funny looking. It is gummy looking. Yeah. It looks like. It looks like I don't actually have a good description of what it looks like. It just looks kind of gross. <laughs> it's like tan and like. Ugh. Okay. Anyway. So punt. Back to punt. So punt. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, men return back from punt with 11 live myrrh trees, which is actually apparently a huge fucking deal. Like in my head, I was like, okay, whatever. Yeah, sure. But the fact that they were like, right. But the fact that they were alive is actually what's significant because this is, believe it or not, the first recorded attempt and success to transplant foreign trees. So okay. I guess basically previously to this, like you would, you know trade seeds and shit but you wouldn't actually uproot live trees and then keep them ready to go and then like what you would do today which is like replant them yeah in a different section so that that hadn't been done before interesting so our girl hattie supposedly had these trees planted in her mortuary temple complex which is just fancy and super cool and it's basically just a way of saying like where the fuck she's buried uh she had a whole temple complex for her for her tomb so she like wanted these myrrh trees to be there in her tomb um and then the egyptians also returned with a number of other gifts from punt among which was frankincense hey what up there you go which would be ground by hatshepsut and she actually used it as um coal eyeliner mm, respect. which is pretty cool yeah so major major ancient egypt vibes there i feel like yeah. i could just imagine these like giant cat eyes yeah and then hatshepsut also sent raiding expeditions to biblos and the sinai peninsula shortly after the punt expedition but there's very little known about these expeditions from what we understand they were probably successful but we couldn't really get any like details on what specifically they did raid from these areas okay. but other than that um most they just went and got a bunch more trees they just were tree hunting. Yep. Like, that's all she wanted. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, is like, of all the things that you could take from places, yeah. trees seem pretty, pretty chill. Yeah. So a lot of Egyptologists claimed that her foreign policy was pretty peaceful, which is actually why there's really not too much in terms of conflict with other places. That makes sense. Most of the focus is on, like, the trade routes. Yeah. Uh, and there's still a possibility that she did lead some military campaigns against Nubia and Canaan. But again, there's not a lot of detail on this, which I think is so interesting that there's some areas that have so much content and yeah. some that just like they're kind of like, yeah, well, we think she did this, but we're not totally sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's her uh, one of her several accomplishments as Pharaoh. Right. So I'm going to talk about some of the buildings that went up under her. Um, so she was one of the most prolific builders in ancient Egypt. And so throughout her reign, she commissioned hundreds of different construction problem problems, projects throughout. <laughs> She's like, all right, everybody, I woke up today and I'm going to make it everybody's fucking problem. Yes. <laughs> uh, throughout. Like build this thing that has no actual like purpose. Exactly. Slash I just want you. It's not physically possible. To yeah, it's fine. <laughs> also, obviously, it calls her one of the most prolific builders. I do not think she built anything. I think they used like hebrews for that i don't know uh <laughs> yeah yeah it was all built by by slaves yeah exactly Pe enslaved people enslaved people sorry yes. sorry um yeah hebrews i think that's the politically correct term <laughs> i i'm not laughing I'm no sorry. i all it is is it makes me think of, there's an episode of golden girls the best show ever obviously where they're like <laughs> trying to redo the bathroom and the plumber brings a new toilet but he's being really sexist like oh you can't you guys can't fix your bathroom yourself blah 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 and so they kick him out and then they have to move the toilet and rose says like you know if the egyptians can build the pyramids we can build this bath we can move this toilet and dorothy says Sure, Rose, get me 10,000 Hebrews and I'll have it there in no time. And so that was playing in my head. And so Hebrews was the word that came to mind. That's fantastic. That is such a golden girl. Oh, so quote. good. Such a classic. Classic Dorothy. But anyway, um, so arguably the buildings that she had built were grander and more numerous than those of a lot of her predecessors. And obviously later, other pharaohs attempted to claim her projects as theirs because men. But we have a, a good amount of evidence that like she at least commissioned or started 
a lot of these buildings. Yeah. And from what I was reading, it's like a big fucking deal. And a lot of and I guess just to like clarify for people who are listening, like this was like one of the few ways that you could really mark your achievement as a pharaoh. Mm -hmm. So like the things that were built and created under your reign was like significant because I, I from what I understand, like the culture was so much rooted in like these physical accomplishments too. Yeah, it was like like, the main measure of success. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So she employed um, an architect named Ineni, who he also had worked for her father, her husband, and other like royal stewards. So he was kind of the the architect to the rulers. And so she worked mm-hmm. with him. I'm actually saying him, but I guess it doesn't say him anywhere and that's on me. But I feel like had this been a woman, they would have told me that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway and I feel like a woman working with another woman would have never flown yeah and I feel like the other royals weren't using a woman architect right so exactly that's yeah. on me but also I justified we're it. wildly speculating historically yes. um it's fine and so together they built actually so much statuary that every major museum with an ancient Egyptian artifact section has something from Hatshepsut's statuary among the collection. Wow. Even to, like, you mean today? Yeah. So from what I could find, that was today. Everything with, like, an actual, you know, ancient Egyptian artifact room or section or something like that, there's something that dates back to this work. That's cool as shit. Yeah. And so... Just like most of the pharaohs that had come before her, you know, she had monuments constructed at the Temple of Karnak, um, which was pretty common. You know, a lot of them did that. She also restored an original precinct of Mut, the great ancient goddess of Egypt at Karnak. So she had some of the existing statues kind of redone. And that one of the ancient goddess had been ravaged by foreign rulers during an occupation and then other pharaohs because it was already kind of falling apart. They started basically using it for scraps, right? They would like take Mm, it apart to use in their own pet projects. And so she did some restoration there. She had twin obelisks erected. Um, At the time, they were the tallest in the world. And so they were at the entrance to this temple. One of them still stands and is the tallest surviving ancient obelisk on earth. Um, The other at some point broke in two and toppled, but one of them remains. Mm. She also ordered more obelisks to be constructed to celebrate her 16th year as pharaoh. So she was just like, fuck it. Make me this. I'm picturing like... I want a fucking obelisk. That's what I want for my 30th birthday. This feels very like ancient Egypt, my super sweet 16. Oh, wow. Yes. my 16th year. Build me an obelisk. (laughs) Uh, Do you remember that show? That show was uh, fucking wild. That show was the best. I mean, it's terrible, but great. My super sweet 16th year as your pharaoh. Yes. That's the show I want to see. Same. <laughs> um, during construction of those, one of them broke. And so they had to like start over and build basically a third one. Could you fucking imagine? I would though? be so like, I'm just mad. thinking about like when you said before that people like reused the like the supplies for other projects like could you fucking imagine no. having literally like broken your back on that labor only to be like 10 years later you know what y'all we're gonna tear this down and we're gonna actually use it for something right. else like Absolutely that would not. suck no no but the broken one was actually left at the site where it was being quarried and so it's still there and so it's known as the unfinished obelisk and they kind of use it as evidence of how those things were made then, right? Because you can see it oh, in process. Oh, that's actually cool. So that's still there. She also, let's see, she also built a new temple. And it was called the Temple of Paquette, which was a kind of portmanteau of the names Bast and Sekhmet. Now, how you combine Bast and Sekhmet to get Paquette, I don't know. But right. sure. Um, but they were two... St- it's all Greek to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I hate myself. Oh, God. They were both um, lioness war goddesses. So they were kind of similar. Um, oh, yeah. In the areas that bordered a division of their cults. And so she combined those names to name this temple. Okay. Which was actually, it sounds badass. It's a cavernous underground temple. It was cut into the rock cliffs on the eastern side of the Nile. Ooh. Yeah. That's pretty sick. Is it still, does it still exist today? Do you know? I didn't, it didn't say either way. So I'm not Hmm. sure. I think... That'd be a cool thing to visit. Yeah. There's one note on it, I guess, that it was altered later and some of the inside decorations um, were changed. Were probably, like, changed or rated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Also, funny enough, from your Greek joke, you could... There there was a Greek (laughs) occupation of Egypt, and Mm -hmm. 
they could see it and they liked it because it reminded them of their Greek, like a similar Greek goddess. Oh, and so okay. the the Greeks that were occupying Egypt, like saw this as kind of a connection. Um, oh, which goddess? It doesn't say it says they're hunter. Oh, it does say hunter goddess, goddess Artemis. Oh, Artemis. Yes, I was going to say hunter goddess, so I was assuming Artemis, but it straight up says Artemis, so that makes me less smart. Yeah. (laughs) No, you knew it. You knew it. Yeah. I'll give it to you. It's (laughs) fine. But, um, so it is all Greek to them. Let's see. So, like I said, it was kind of altered later by some dude who thought he was cool enough to do that. Just like, again, other pharaohs, kind of a tradition was they would build a big mortuary temple. And so that's kind of seen as Hatshepsut's, you know, masterpiece of her buildings. She built hers in a complex that was designed and implemented on the west bank of the Nile River. So it's near the Mm. entrance to what we now call the Valley of the Kings. Oh, that's cool. Right. But it's said that it's because they all chose to associate their complexes with the grandeur of hers. So she was the first grand building at that location. Okay, so she was like the OG builder of badass yep. death complexes. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Um, the complex's focal point was the Holy of Holies, which was a colonnaded structure. I don't know what colonnaded means, but it was built <laughs> nearly a thousand years before the Parthenon. So it sits atop a series of terraces that used to have these like big lush gardens on them and then it's built on a cliff face that like then rises sharply next to it so it was just like a beautiful place and it was kind of advances in architecture at the time right they were things that hadn't been built in that way before so it was just like the most grand beautiful like mortuary temple there had been at the time that's so cool yeah so i wish we named things like they did right like the valley of the kings how fucking cool is that we're just like i don't know dayton Exactly. Even like if you look at California, like Los Angeles and stuff, like they all have the like Spanish translations and they just are so they're so cool. But now it's like Ewing because they like that's where I live. Yeah. And I think the guy's name was Ewing. So it's right. like, Ex- I don't know. Yeah. Um, I was just driving back from. So I was in Panama City Beach and like the panhandle of Florida driving back to Atlanta. So you drive through like country florida and then alabama and rural georgia and Mm. every city has just like a stupid name it's just like yeah and it's all everything the south is so weird they like pronounce things not how you would think that they should like what well so this wasn't there but my friend i was with she's like a native southerner and so she was telling us about some and i guess in north carolina there's a county called and it's you know u-n-i-o-n union but it's they pronounce it onion the entire, like, it's Onion County. What? Oh, no. No. Which That's I, wrong, North Carolina. <laughs> which I guess is not that different than, like, Worcester in Massachusetts or something like that. So did you call the Union Army the Onion Army? No, is it's that... just this county is pronounced, <laughs> I, like, I don't, I don't know. That's actually the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. So <laughs> One of the weirdest things. <laughs> yeah. So we're not over here, like, holy of the holies. We're just, like, Onion County. <laughs> Whatever. Um, but yeah, so those are some of her buildings. There's obviously a lot more, but those are kind of the big ones that she's known for and that men tried to take credit for later. Shocking. Yeah. So this is actually kind of a nice segue into her last like big accomplishment, which is the official louding. All right. So I'm just going to, this was my favorite sentence I read. (laughs) Uh, it's (laughs) Hatshepsut has been called the most accomplished Pharaoh at promoting her accomplishments. Yes. (laughs) And I thought, fuck yeah, girl, that's awesome. So Egyptologists believe that this is probably like a result of the extensive building that was executed during her time, Mm -hmm. like you just said, in comparison with many others. Um, Like you said earlier, like she had a lot of grandeur. She had so many things built, um, which is in in its own like a reflection of the wealth of Egypt at that time, too. So. From what I understand, um, the buildings and accomplishments that she were able that she was able to achieve during her reign is basically what afforded her a lot of opportunities to loud herself. Mm-hmm. But to basically loud herself, so like if you don't know what that word means, I didn't either. It's basically like to like highly praise yourself in a public context. Yeah. So like, um, you know, I literally had to like I had to do right click. <laughs> dictionary definition (laughs) because like we don't really think of words like that anymore we kind of just i don't know i don't loud myself on anything i'm also not a fucking pharaoh so i guess the context i think of it in is 
I feel like I associate it with like a movie that's an Oscar contender or something. People will call it like the highly lauded film. Yes. Yes. And so that's probably the closest thing that we would have yeah, with that today. Because I knew the word, but that's the context I think of it in is like mm-hmm. critics lauding a film or something like that. Yeah. And the only reason this is like its own section of her accomplishments is because, like I said, she literally was the most accomplished person at talking about her accomplishments. And a lot of that actually probably comes from the fact that she was a woman. Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I'll talk a lot about in in this section. So at this point, it was also, also let me also clarify too, it was super common for pharaohs to do this. Like men did this shit all the time. Right. Men were literally trying to take credit for the shit that she built. So right. which I mean, if you think not of like, like, a president right that's what they do is they have mm-hmm. to be like well i created this many jobs and i did this and this like mm-hmm. you don't have to be mm-hmm. a dick about it but you're supposed to talk about the things you did right exactly so for her um she kind of just took that to the next level mostly i think because she wanted to really just prove her worth as being a pharaoh mm-hmm. um, and being like a king in her right so women had a relatively high status in ancient egypt they enjoyed the legal right to own, inherit, or will property, which is a big fucking yeah, deal. Yeah, for then. Yeah, because uh, that shit's going to go away for a while. Um, but a woman becoming pharaoh, like you said, was pretty rare. Um, there were maybe only one or two, possibly three others who had preceded her, mm-hmm. uh, and only maybe two that succeeded her. So in all of ancient Egyptian history, we have a maximum of like six women that were pharaohs over like thousands of years of ancient egyptian dynasties yeah and that's even though they had more rights than we think of women having in ancient times Mm -hmm. also today Mm -hmm. yeah exactly so like i mentioned before in egyptian history there was no word for a queen regnant so in contemporary history king is like the ancient egyptian title regardless of gender and Mm -hmm. by the time of her reign pharaoh was the name for the ruler so there was no like female adaptation for the word pharaoh so she was just the pharaoh um which i think is actually really interesting so something that was debunked for me i kind of knew the most minuscule amount of shit about hatshepsut um a lot of people like i feel like i've heard is that um she was unique in taking the title of the king which i totally thought she was but six dynasties before her, there was a there was a pharaoh named Sobekneferu, and she also adopted the name of pharaoh when she ruled Egypt. So Hatshepsut wasn't the like original person mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah, that's why um, when I had like she was the second known whatever, that was the predecessor. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Um, and actually, you said something interesting, too, which I'm going to talk a little bit about now. So she had been well trained in her duties as the daughter of the pharaoh. She was the... Um, you also said she was the wife of like a pharaoh, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, what was the third one? She was sister. Sister, correct. The right, same one right. she was the For... wife of. Right. Duh. How the fuck did I forget <laughs> that? Oh, you know, I'm just casually forgetting the incest. It's fine. No big deal. Um, but she also held this powerful or supposedly powerful office of God's wife which that's lit i looked this up it's super lit but there was actually no real role like there was nothing to do you just were like titled this i mean that's fine which is a cool yeah like i'm fine i'm fine with that um but the role actually passed from mother to daughter and it could also exist and be shared among siblings so like i said i could not for the life of me find whatever the fuck the role was and most of the stuff that i saw it pretty much said that it was like a just a title but it was still like a really honored title yeah so um so by the time that she became pharaoh uh hatshepsut was very experienced in administration of the kingdom she'd already taken on a strong role as the queen to her husband and so she basically starts to assume all of the regalia and symbols of the pharaonic office in all official representations of her um, so that includes the cot head cloth topped with the uraeus, which is the snake thing. Ooh. That's literally what I wrote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but I know what you mean when you say the snake thing. Mm-hmm. And also the traditional false beard. So one of like her big uh, like claims to fame today also is that she was like supposedly more gender neutral in the way that she was uh, presented mm-hmm. formally. So. There are some existing statues that show her in typical quote-unquote feminine attire, 
and also in her royal attire. But by the time um, the period of the transition ends, most of the formal depictions of her show her in the formal full attire with all pharaonic regalia, which means that like the descriptions and the characteristics are much more masculine. Yeah. And it's actually pretty cool, too, because some of the feminine depictions were actually carved over by her and like other yeah. i guess like her people to make her seem more masculine yeah so she named herself matkare which means truth if the soul of the truth of the soul of the sun god which again these fucking names are yeah. so cool um and this like title basically emphasized her connection to one of the evolutions of amun which um which also Im- referenced the importance of a pharaoh maintaining harmony by representing and respecting tradition so like to make that a little simpler because i kind of just like shit the bed on that sentence Mm -hmm. is like she named herself matkare because she felt that it was really important to maintain harmony by respecting the traditions of the role of pharaoh right uh despite a lot of popular belief there really is no indication of challenges to her leadership at least in the early stages and until her death her co-regent is pretty much in a secondary role quite amicably um like they you know her army is really powerful no one ever tries to like stage a coup and for the most part like people were fine with her being pharaoh um i feel like it's after the fact that there's going to be some shit but like during her reign people were like no we cool um there was also this like habit that headshipsuit had of like (laughs) this is like why i really loved her is like creating myths about herself and her birth that's great. So she basically, yeah. So like from what I understand, she basically just wanted to like emphasize her legitimacy as Pharaoh. Yeah. And so she like created this myth about her birth. And so in this myth, Amun, who is, or Amun, who is the god of the sun and the air, uh, eventually was combined with Amun-Ra or Amun-Ra, sorry. I was going to say, uh, I thought Ra was the sun god. Me too. And I was like, the fuck? But it eventually gets combined. Okay. So. So basically, this god goes to Amos, who's Hatshepsut's mom, in the form of her husband. So he like does that whole like god shape shifting right, yep. shit, and like very chill, like like I'm a swan, <laughs> I'm Zeus, and I'm a swan, yep. like that shit. But at least he like you know takes a human form uh, as the pharaoh Thutmose the first, and he awakens her with pleasant odors. <laughs> it's like I have never thought about being awoken by a pleasant odor no like i guess pleasant odors would be something like for me it'd be like coffee in the morning that's what i'm or feeling like, like if someone's Googling. making cinnamon rolls like right. but for then it was then it was probably like myrrh or like right so amun then places the ankh uh symbol of life to amos's mm-hmm. nose and hatshepsut is conceived so there's no I'm intercourse. Like touching my nose, like that's I not know. how that works. <laughs> when I was researching, I was like, uh. um, so I'll actually put a picture up of the Ankh too. Yeah, but it's that like, um, it's like the cross, like, but it's got like a loopy loop. cross. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. So hopefully, I'm cultured, people know, I know. What we're talking about. <laughs> um, and then Kunum, the god who forms the bodies of human children, because there's a very specific god for that is instructed to create a body and something called Ka or the corporal presence life force for Hatshepsut. So on Knom's potter's wheel, because that's how they make the children's uh-huh. bodies, uh-huh. Hatshepsut had herself depicted as a little boy to further strengthen and cement her divine right to rule. Okay. So. I feel like this then- is why there was no information on her early life because she just made this shit up. So it was like, I guess she was born. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> she wasn't she was like conceived by someone touching her mother's nose yeah and then her body was formed by the potter god and then the last thing is hecate the goddess of love and fertility and Kunum like then lead amos along to a lioness's bed where then she gives birth to hatshepsut so mm-hmm. to sum it up we have amun the god of the sun in the air Tapping her mother Amos's nose and Hatshepsut gets conceived. Then Kanom creates her body out of clay, but she's depicted as a boy, not a girl. And then Hecate, the goddess of life and fertility, makes her mother give birth on a lioness's bed. 
Yep. This all- and then this is how Hatshepsut came into the world. Yep, this all tracks. So uh, these events are even depicted at Karnak and in her mortuary temple because they really happened. So she was super determined to press the idea that the Oracle of Amun had proclaimed that it was the will of him that Hatshepsut become the pharaoh. Like she basically reiterated the gods support by having the following proclamation carved on all of her monuments. So the proclamation says, quote, Welcome, my sweet daughter, my favorite, the king of Upper and Lower Egypt, Matkare Hatshepsut. Thou art the pharaoh taking possession of the two lands. She's got my favorite on there. I know. I I actually love this. I, I kind of want this carved on all of my possessions. <laughs> Welcome, my sweet daughter, my favorite, <laughs> the king of Upper and Lower Ewing, Walls. Matkare Casey. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Hatshepsut also claimed that she was her father's intended heir and that he made her the heir apparent of Egypt. But basically every scholar today says that's historical revisionism literally on her that's part fine. because that was it. the second her brother and the king's son was actually the heir. I'll allow it. So, right. <laughs> so in addition, that most the first could have actually foreseen that his daughter would outlive his son within his own lifetime. Like right. they ended up, you know, they got married. Um, and then the latter became his senior royal, like, and then, all right, so Thutmose II married Hatshepsut. Hatshepsut became the royal, senior royal wife and the most powerful woman at court. And then eventually she becomes pharaoh. Right. Um, and she basically as- um, supports her assertion to the, th- or ascension to the throne, that she was her father's designated successor. Um, and again, she kind of creates this, this story about what her father said. So here's another quote that can be found on the walls of her mortuary temple. Quote, then his majesty's majesty said to them, this daughter of mine, oh fuck. Kanumen <laughs> Kanumetamun Tamun. Kanumetamun Hatshepsut, may she live. I have appointed as my successor upon my throne. She shall she shall direct the people in every sphere of the palace. It is she indeed who shall lead you. Obey her words. Unite yourselves at her command. The royal nobles, the dignitaries, and the leaders of the people heard this proclamation of the promotion of his daughter, the king of Upper and Lower Egypt, Matkare. May she live eternally. Okay. And that's the most I've ever talked about louding, and probably the most I ever will talk about louding. (laughs) So now we are going to talk about her death and with death in ancient Egypt is like her mummification and, and her resting place and all that. All the cool shit. Yeah. So she died as she approached what we would consider middle age. Um, so she was about 50. It's thought based on some later okay. evidence in her 22nd year of her reign. So the precise date of course is not fully known, but we can kind of guess it based on when Thutmose three became the Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's year 22 of her reign, um, somewhere around the 16th of January in 1458 BC. So there's no contemporary, like, surviving mention of how she died. Right. There's nothing that says she died of X, Y, Z. But right. I, that's also probably because as I go through this, we find some causes, like what we would call the causes of her death today. And they probably didn't know what those were at the time. Okay. So. There was a tomb of her royal nurse, Citrian. Citrian? Citrian. Um, and there was a mummy. I'm the last person. Yeah, I don't you know. Ask yeah, I don't know. We're going to go with Citrian. And a mummy was discovered in that tomb, an additional mummy. And within that, there was a tooth fa- fragment found in a jar of organs. And that tooth fragment they were able to use to eventually identify what they believed to be the body of Hutch. Hatshepsut. Okay. So if the recent identification is correct, then the medical evidence indicated she would have had what we know as diabetes and died from bone cancer, which had spread throughout her body. Oh, wow. Also suggested- got the beat. Yep. Arthritis and bad teeth. Okay. Well, you know, it was fucking ancient Egypt, so- Yep. However, in 2011, the tooth was identified as a molar from the lower jaw. But the mummy that they had from the tomb was missing a molar in its upper jaw. So that started to mm-hmm. kind of raise some suspicion that this might not be what they thought. I choose okay. to believe, you know, the fun one where it is. 
And so we know that she had been con- constructing a tomb when she was the wife, just the wife of Thutmose II. So before she took reign. Um, but right. the scale of that tomb wasn't pharaoh level. So when she ascended the throne, she they immediately basically started preparing her burial, right? Like it was such a big part of it that as soon as you're mm-hmm. king or queen or pharaoh, you're like, okay, let's let's get this going. Which is like also fucking crazy. I think that's so cool, but also so dark. Yeah. <laughs> And so basically they used what's known now as KV-20, because like the Valley of the Kings, they kind of number it. But it was originally made for her father, and it was probably the first royal tomb in the Valley of the Kings, Mm, we think. Um, So they extended it with a new burial chamber. At the same time, she refurbished her father's burial chamber and prepared for a double internment of both Thutmose I and her in kind of this same section. So from that, they presume it's likely that when she died, she was interred in that tomb along with her father. But later, so after she died, when Thutmose III was in charge, there's a new tomb built. So KV-38. And that's built with kind of some new modern burial equipment. And Thutmose I is moved from 20 to 38 and reinterred there. Okay. And so at that time is when they might have moved her mummy into the tomb of the nurse. Right? Citrian. Oh, wow. So okay. she was initially okay. buried in this one she had built, but that's why she might have been moved, is it seems like the next guy kind of redid it, and they moved her father so she could have been moved at the same time. Okay, and actually that kind of checks out with what I'll talk about after this, is like what happened after she died and like what the... F- the pharaoh did kind of post her death yeah and so in 1903 um a man named howard carter does a lot of recovery from 20 the initial tomb and he finds a lot of furniture that seems to have belonged to hatshepsut um both there and elsewhere so a lioness throne is found some board games with lioness heads as part of the game pieces that bore her title from when she ruled um just general things that they can connect to her Mm -hmm. um and then in another area so not in the valley of the kings but in another tomb they find a wooden box and it has an ivory knob inscribed with her name and it contained a mummified liver or spleen they can't quite tell and a molar i thought they were gonna say like a heart i was like fuck yeah that's awesome but nope um and a molar tooth And so there was a royal lady of the 21st dynasty, so a little later, who had the same name. So it was thought it might have belonged to her, but they Mm. don't think that anymore. They think it was our girl Hattie. And so when Howard Carter discovered the, um, when he was clearing out these tombs, he discovered another one known as KV-60 that had two female mummies. And one of those was identified as Hatshepsut's wet nurse, and the other was unidentified. So, um, Hatshepsut had a, I assume for her children. Okay. I just like, okay. I I just wanted to clarify it. Yes. I assume it is the person she employed as a wet nurse. Got it. Not her own person. That is my assumption. Or I guess it could have been her wet nurse from when she was a child. Yeah. Okay. One of those. Huh. Interesting. So they find that in 1903. So in 2007, so like a full 104 years later. They finally remove the unidentified body from the tomb and bring it to a museum for testing. And that mummy is missing a tooth. And that space in the jaw purposely matched the existing molar they found in the box. So Mm. they, they now have a tooth that matches a body. So they think that was her. That's the body they use to ultimately attribute her death to, um, the diabetes and the bone yeah, cancer. Yeah, so primarily bone cancer. They actually trace it back to, they find a benzopyrene carcinogenic skin lotion. So something she was using as a lotion, some concoction, which they mm-hmm. think caused the cancer because we now know it was carcin- carcinogenic. <laughs> oh, shit. That's not funny. I'm no. sorry. I shouldn't be laughing. And like, that's crazy. Kind of corroborating that there's other members of the family that they have evidence suffered from inflammatory skin diseases. That could have been oh. genetic. So it's likely that she inadvertently poisoned herself while trying to deal with some sort of itchy or irritated skin condition. So we wow. think based on that like long saga of different tombs that they found the one that was actually her 
and that they traced, you know, a reason she died. And again, they wouldn't at the time have known that was why. Um, but she was she was about 50, so not like a crazy young age to die, especially then. And so she gets moved around from tomb to tomb, and we think we got her. Wow. Damn. Yeah. That's crazy. I you know what's funny is I I never think of historical figures as having like blemishes i know that's really stupid because no but i know what you mean but i feel like they're always put in these like little like in their in the movies and shit they're always like so glamorous yeah i mean we don't draw them like here's your acne right right exactly (laughs) exactly um okay so the last thing i'm going to kind of talk about is the archaeological discovery slash changing recognition of hatshepsut because this is going to kind of be where she becomes a little bit more famous because she becomes so mysterious. Okay. Okay. So after she dies towards the end of the reign of Thutmose III, who is her successor into the transition of his son, there's an attempt made to remove Hatshepsut from certain historical and pharaonic records, which is called, I love this fucking word. It's actually two words. It's Latin. Damnatio memori. Okay. Which is fucking cool. I want that to be like a heavy metal band name. So basically, this is just like the elimination of her from as many historical records as possible. So the elimination was carried out in the most literal way possible. So anything that she created, the so so they had something called those cartouche. I don't know what the fuck. So they were carved tablets and drawings and images that had her... All of those things were chiseled off stone walls and they left these like really obvious Hatshepsut sized gaps in the artwork. So it was like Pharaoh, 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 gap, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. So like it was pretty clear. <laughs> something. It was like that something was there. So like it was like a really poor Photoshop of that in ancient Egypt. Um, for one example, at the Deir el Bahari temple. Hatshepsut's numerous statues were torn down, and in a lot of cases, they were smashed or disfigured before being buried in a pit. Cool. At the Karnak Temple Complex, there was an attempt to wall up her obelisks, which obviously wasn't fully successful. And this is really not attributed to Thutmose III. This is actually more attributed to Amentotep, uh, fucking Amentotep II, the son of Thutmose III who basically became a co-regent toward the end of his father's reign because his father, I think, kind of started to become too ill to, like, really do anything as pharaoh. Okay. So Amenhotep is the one that's suspected by some as being the defacer during the end of the reign of his father. Um, And his motive would have probably been just because his position in the royal lineage was not super strong. Mm -hmm. So he wanted to like assure his elevation and dominance to becoming Pharaoh upon his father's death. And so he kind of like took it upon himself to eradicate this like existence of Hatshepsut. Cool, cool. So he's also noted as usurping a lot of Hatshepsut's accomplishments during his own reign, which was full of attempts to like break the royal lineage as well. And he basically didn't record the names of his queens and he eliminates the powerful titles such as God's wife, which Hatshepsut also held in her pre-Pharaoh life. So like, yeah, he kind of is basically so insecure about his own legitimacy that he basically destroys any type of legitimate like official role of royal women um cool and like you would have this man is like ancient egyptian trump basically yeah so (laughs) so basically he would like pharaohs would have multiple wives and queens and then like i guess the pharaoh would kind of determine who would take his place um and all of his wives were some sort of queen um but amenta amentotep the second took that away. The erasures of Hatshepsut were super sporadic and haphazard, um, and only the more visible and accessible images of Hatshepsut were removed. So, like, he didn't try to go too deep. It was kind of just like, that's an obvious depiction of her. Take it down. What's interesting, too, is that Thutmose III may have actually died before these changes were finished. And it it's probably that he... He didn't really ever intend a total obliteration of her memory. And there's no evidence to support that he actually hated or resented Hatshepsut during her lifetime and it really just feels like it was more his son because his son just seems like a major fucking scumbag so yeah but basically from what I understand 
it seemed to be more likely to have been at the end of his reign. He had the co-regent son. And basically my completely unprofessional opinion is that like his son somehow did resent Hatshepsut for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that a lot of archaeologists and Egyptologists say that makes it probably pretty more obvious that Thutmose III didn't actually do this shit was because he had actually been head of the army, which was a position that was given to him by Hatshepsut. And she was in no way ever threatened or concerned that like her, like his loyalty as co-regent was like false. He could have definitely held a successful coup, but he never made any attempt to actually challenge her authority during her reign. And her accomplishments and images remained featured on all of the public buildings she built for 20 years after her death, which was into Thutmose III's reign as well. But regardless, the erasure of Hatshepsut's name almost caused her to disappear from Egypt's archaeological and written written records because like 19th century Egyptologists, when this shit started to become like a pretty big thing, like had no fucking idea what was going on when they were looking at like interpreting the texts. So like one example is like they they saw these like illustrations that seemed to be two male kings Mm -hmm. because again, all representations of Hatshepsut were put into that like male Pharaoh form. Right. But like the guys that were like translating it were like, no, but it's saying like a woman. So where the fuck is this woman? Like there's no other record of her specifically. Yeah. So it wasn't until this French decoder of hieroglyphs named Jean-Francois Champollion, which is probably (laughs) the only name I can say well in this entire Mm -hmm. fucking episode. He wasn't alone in feeling super confused. And he was like, this is like a clear conflict of interest between the words and pictures. So he's quoted as saying, quote, if I felt somewhat surprised at seeing here as elsewhere throughout the temple, the renowned Morris, Thutmose the third, adorned with all of the insignia of royalty, giving place to this Hatshepsut for whose name we may search the royal list in vain. Still more astonished was I to find upon reading the inscriptions that wherever they referred to this bearded king in the usual dress of the pharaohs, nouns and verbs were in the feminine as though a queen were in question i found the same peculiarity everywhere so they dubbed this the hatshepsut problem (laughs) which is pretty fucking like i don't know what else to call it let's just call it this yeah Um, it was a huge issue in late 19th century and early 20th century egyptology and it basically centered on a shit ton of confusion and disagreement and people were constantly fighting and debating about like what was the real order of succession because there was no legitimate consistent record of Hatshepsut. Mm-hmm. So obviously the name of the dilemma comes from that confusion. And at the time, the problem was controversial enough to cause academic feuds between leading Egyptologists. <laughs> that which, sounds like, fun. This is my favorite part. Yeah, just a bunch of like old white guys fucking yelling at each other about this. And like there was still this kind of misunderstanding or assumption that she didn't necessarily exist even into like the 20th century. Yeah. And you can find that on a lot of more like recent archaeological digs. But chronology wise, the Hatshepsut problem was pretty much cleared up by the late 20th century as more information about her and her reign was uncovered as they had more scientific advancement in being able to do like genetic things like what you talked about in finding her mummified remains right. and things like that. Um, so, yeah, for the most part, it was like <laughs> there was some serious like anger at all of these different theories about whether or not she actually existed. So yeah, I mean that's uh that's a Shepsuit. I mean, I don't know that you did you really find anything in like modern day pop culture cuz I no, feel like nothing really I comes up. I thought there would be, but there's no like definitive portrayal really. Most things yeah. are either like TV movies or documentary type series with reenactments. There's mm-hmm. no I don't know. I feel like it would make a cool big motion picture. There did seem to be some in Egypt, there's some movies about her, and I don't have the knowledge to gauge if they were, like, big movies there or just kind of the equivalent of TV movies here, you know? Right. Um, A Disney Channel original movie yeah, about Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, literally, probably the biggest thing I could find is there's a Tina Turner song called I Might Have Been Queen that is explicitly Ooh, about her. Um, that's cool. Yeah. And I mean, obviously there's tons of nonfiction books about her and she's used as a character in like fictionalized versions of ancient Egypt and things like that a lot. Yeah. But I was surprised there'd been no like big movie made about her or something like that, even, you know, years ago. Um, But really pop culture, there's not very much. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. I just looked up the lyrics to Tina Turner's song and it's like, even that's a little vague. Yeah. I think it's Tina Turner later said, like, this is about her. Yeah. Um, 
I could see it in the lyrics, but like it's still like pretty like it's still kind of mysterious. And I, I mean, obviously, I think after all of this research, like we know that she did exist and stuff. But I just think it's interesting that she did have so many accomplishments. And obviously, she lauded <laughs> those accomplishments all over the place. But like, I think it's also interesting that we still don't really learn a lot about her. Yeah, there's not there's not a lot about like her. There's she built this or whatever, but we don't know much about her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's our girl, Hattie. That's our girl, Hattie. Thanks, folks, for listening. Hopefully you uh, got some fun tidbits to talk about as the world is starting to open up and you start to see more people and you can be like, yo, yeah. I learned about Hatshepsut yeah. and her trading routes. So <laughs> you're welcome. Yep. Now you have some <laughs> conversation pieces. Yeah. If you forgot how to interact with people socially, which <laughs> I did. Oh, yeah. So you'll be fine. All right. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to What the History. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WTHistoryPod. If you'd like to email us, you can do that at WTHistoryPodcast at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear feedback or episode ideas or anything else you have to say. You can support us on Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash WTHistoryPodcast and get exclusive access to even more nerdy stuff. Don't forget to tune in every Thursday when new episodes are released, and we will see you next time.